0: standards. That's, what, that's where we've gotten. And we just want to confirm that. So if we, if we jump over a page or, or so to Romans 2 uh, verses 14 to 16 confirm what we're saying here. Because when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So, um, in the bigger context of, of Romans 2, Paul was... Indicting the Jews of his day, showing that they were just as condemned before God as the Gentiles, because the, the written law and the law known by nature equally condemned sinners. Okay, so the Gentiles may not have had the Ten Commandments in written form, Like Israel had, but they do have the law written in their hearts, and so they know by nature what the law requires. Now, one, and we have to, we have to obviously take account of the fact that we have distorted that, but this is about how God made us. So yes. People ignore this, suppress it, run the other direction, but the biblical point is that people know what God requires of them, which is, in fact, why so many people get angry when you tell them that they ought not to be doing something. Now, one one more passage just underscores this. I'll be quick because I, I think I think this I think this makes sense. Um, we've we've done this one before, so it's just worth reading it, and reminding ourselves. So Romans 5, 12-14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin was indeed in the world before the law was given. That's the written law. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So um, I, I want to do this one because I realize it takes a little bit more work, and I, I try to do the ones that are hard in front of you so that it, it helps. Although if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't help. But... Um, Hopefully it'll make sense. So I I think that the line of thought takes careful parsing, but we can see a few things that confirm for us yet again that God's moral law is built into creation. First, sin is the cause of death. Paul says that. Death came through sin. So, So the summary there is people die only because sin is in the world. Okay. That, that one's probably not shocking. Second, sin is a violation of the law. Right? S- he says, sin is not counted where there is no law. The law is the standard that tells us what sin is, and sin exists only where we break the law. Third, and, and bringing all this together, <coughs> death, death as uh, the consequence of breaking the law has been in the world since Adam. Right? So, for Adam and everyone, if, if Paul's claims all are true, and, and we should believe they are. Uh, For Adam and everyone before the events at Mount Sinai to have died, which they did, there had to be a law to register their sin. So, since the world's beginning, we have had a law that by nature showed us the standards of righteousness, leaving us all without excuse. And so the law of nature has always been known to us in the things that God made, including ourselves, telling us how to honor him. That brings us to our second point. The Lord of the law. The Lord of the law. Um, I think that was the hardest point. So now we're, we're on to more exciting venues. Because um, what we've seen so far, and just trying to prove it to you from consistent patterns in scripture is that creation itself teaches us a standard for righteousness. It's known to us, just in how we are, or, or that nature contains a law that we're supposed to keep. Now now the question then is, okay, why do we use the Ten Commandments as the inspired, the revealed statement of that natural law? Why are these 10 the summary of our kind of natural obligations before the Lord that we ought to know, that we do know and suppress at times? Now here we can pull some help from the Westminster Standards to gather our thoughts and and then Point, some, point to some reasons why the, the Ten Commandments are more than just some odd set of rules. They're more than that. They have a more fundamental connection to how we as creatures are related to God than we might at first assume. Uh, so, we, we thought about some of these, or we said some of these earlier in our service. Given what what we said in, or saw in Romans 5 about how there, there had to be a law for Adam. Well, given that, Westminster Shorter Catechism 40 asks, What did God at first reveal to man for the rule of his obedience? Answering, The rule which God at first revealed to man for his obedience was the moral law. So the moral law has always been the standard of righteousness. And question 41 follows up then. Well, Where is that law summarily comprehended or just summarized? Right? The moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments. That's the same thing that we uh, saw a, a few weeks ago in, in Westminster Confession uh, 19, 1 and 2, that God gave Adam a law uh, as a covenant and after the fall, it still continued as a perfect rule of righteousness and was delivered at Mount Sinai in Ten Commandments. In other words, to put this sort of more on the nose, the Ten Commandments themselves didn't show up for the first time at Mount Sinai. So the Exodus 20 wasn't the first time in human- these Ten Things summarize what have always been our duty before God. And so we have been bound since creation to, to live in this, in this particular way before God. And that's why in, in Romans 5, Paul has Adam and Moses as the coordinates uh, in his explanation of sin's connection to the law. He knew that that God most explicitly delivered this law in writing through Moses for the first time in Exodus 20. He also knew that the same law had been given to Adam by it being written in our hearts by nature. This connection goes further though. And, and here's, I think, the next point. So the, the first major component to what I'm trying to get across here is simply that the moral law is built into creation. This This is the second major component here, that the Ten Commandments describe God's own character. The Ten Commandments describe God's own character, which is why which is why we as his image bearers, people who are supposed to reflect the creatures that are, who are supposed to reflect God's character, right? Why we can never escape our responsibility to keep these commands. So we notice from, right, a, a mirror is supposed to reflect the thing in front of it, the person in front of it. Uh, and and we are the the creaturely mirrors for God we're supposed to reflect what he's like and if the 10 commandments describe God well then to be a good reflection rather than a distorted reflection we need to keep these and and so we notice from Romans 1 that we are without excuse for our sin, which is a violation of the law, because what what can be... So so I'm trying to get this connection really clear. Really clear. Okay? Uh, we, We don't have an excuse for breaking the law because what can be known about God is plain to us. Because... His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, His things about God have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so we know this law because it is a description of God's own righteous character. Shorter Catechism 44 helps us see that point, even in the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, right? Uh, It asks us, what does the preface for the Ten Commandments teach us? It says the preface, so that's, I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the house of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. That's the preface, right? It's a statement about God. And so our catechism says the preface teaches us that because God is the Lord and our God and Redeemer, because of those things, because of who God is, we are bound to keep all his commandments. So in other words, God announces, I am the Lord your God. He makes a statement. This is who I am. And then he announced the moral law. Which is a description of the character of the Lord our God. So he tells you his name. And then he tells you what he's like. I'm the Lord your God. And here's what my holiness looks like in practical application. And you, as my people, need to reflect it. What, what does that mean, right? I mean, so let's, let's think that down to the bottom. We've got ten things here. And how do they tell us about God? Well, why shouldn't we lie? Why should we, why should we tell the truth and not lie? Because God is truth. There is no falsity in God. Why shouldn't we murder Because God is life itself. There is no life apart from God. He is the source of it all. And so we don't unduly, unjustly take it. Why why shouldn't we steal? Because God is abundantly giving. And and cannot, cannot take what is not His. And so we should... Avoid taking what belongs to others and hasn't been given to us and should lean into being abundantly giving and generous ourselves rather than taking for others. And so there is a a rationale grounded in God's own character, in God's own nature and invisible attributes for why the moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments and is the inviolable, permanent, and perfect rule of righteousness for the creatures made after God's image. And so, the Lord of the law is described in the law of the Lord. Because we are made in God's image, because we are his image bearers, we are meant to reflect his own holiness. And and so we are always responsible to the moral law as summarized in the Ten Commandments. Finally, the law of life. These moral instructions in the Ten Commandments are again a mirror of God's character so that that we know, so that we as his creatures know what his righteousness is like. And then we, as his image bearers, are to use that mirror as the standard for for knowing how to carry his reflection into creation. And I want to close by thinking about why the moral law in the Ten Commandments expressed there is not only what we're supposed to do, why it's good for us? So why is it not only what we're supposed to do? Why is it good? Why ought we to like keeping the Ten Commandments? We we hear a lot today about human flourishing, which um, most of the time the media rhetoric seems to think that human flourishing means letting everyone do whatever they feel like doing unchecked. And we should certainly be in favor of human flourishing, but need a clearer understanding of what that means in truth. Because human flourishing is good. The way it's described to us today is bad. If if we are God's image bearers, meant to reflect his goodness, well then, keeping the Ten Commandments aligns with the very purpose for which we were made. We are, to put it a different way, we are properly human. We are functioning well when we are representing God rightly in our conduct. I mean, if your car is always sputtering, if it's always stalling, well, you know that something's wrong. It's not good to drive it. It's not running smoothly, which means it's not functioning like it's supposed to function. It's out of sorts. And even though we can't uh, earn a reward, by keeping God's moral law. The law still serves in this way as, as our diagnostic guide to tune up our human functioning. You, you have to go in and you have to poke around to see why your car is stalling out and sputtering. Well, you need some tools, you need some rubrics to figure out what might be wrong. And as we look at our own lives of human conduct, the 10 Commandments are the starting point to figure out well, if this isn't going well, what might be wrong? Here's the first 10 questions to ask. Romans 10, or sorry, Romans 7:10 says, the very commandment that promised life to me proved to be death to me. Now, the law promised life as a condition when it was given to Adam for somebody who would keep it. Now and so we it's death to somebody who, who's broken the law, who can't keep it. And we we can't obtain that promise of life by keeping the law because we're sinful. But because but because Christ has given us life through himself, as we trust in him. Because of that grace in the Lord Jesus we can follow the moral law's guide to what life is supposed to look like. You you may not earn anything by by keeping the commands about what what life is supposed to look like. But it's a good thing in itself for life to look like what it's supposed to look like. I mean to say that in kind of a circular way. The Ten Commandments are are that law of life (laughs) showing us what flourishing, showing us what life itself ought to be like if we're functioning well. Misery comes because of sin. And the more we, we walk, the more we live in accord with God's Law? We can't do it perfectly. And all the misery of this life will, will not be off of us until the next age. But the more that, by God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we can be more and more aligned with God's moral will, the less misery sits upon us. The less reasons for misery we have. And so right there, right there, as we think about what that means in terms of freedom, as God helps us do things that honor him, he frees us from misery. We have a glimpse into the kindness of Christ as our king. We, we revisit his, his work as priest often in how he died to forgive our sins and and rose to give us new life. And that is true. And I've said it just now because I want you to remember it tonight. But by the Spirit's power there's more. Christ remains near to, to his people. Remains near to us in the new life that he gives us. And he directs us I think we really have to grab hold of this. He's not saying, do this because I'm stingy and want to squish your fun. He's saying, I want to direct you in following the moral law because he's showing us paths of greater enjoyment in our communion with him by helping us to live more and more aligned with how he created us to be. And so we rejoice at the law of perfect freedom because we don't have to keep it to gain entry into heaven, but we do keep it as a way to experience, well, what God has made us to be. And we keep it as an expression of love and gratitude To God who first loved us and gave his son that he might have us as his. Let's pray. Father God, it's so easy to uh, take one of two wrong directions. To cast the law aside and not, not delight in your goodness, your true holy character. Which ought to be something that thrills our hearts. It's also just as easy to become legalistic and think that the law is there to earn something and that we have to do this so that you'll love us. And that's so dangerous too. And we, we hope that as we think here tonight about how your law is built into creation, about how the, law, the moral law describes who you are, and how we are meant to reflect who you are, that it helps us delight in you, in what you call us to do, and in what you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ all the more. So help us treasure up all of those things, our salvation and the prospect of holy living as something good for us, delightful for us. And we pray that you would bless us with greater measures of sanctification. We ask it for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you stand to receive your benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this day and forevermore. And all God's people say, Amen. Good to be with you today.